Hey there, thanks for tuning in today. Quick heads up, this is a new type of show on Billion Dollar Moves, where once a month we dive deep into the deals and markets of the day. You're tuning in to Billion Dollar Moves Breakdown. In terms of global trends, Pakistan is mimicking some of that. The markets are frothy across the world. Money is smart after the deal is done, right? So it's like, otherwise, it's just a check that comes in the door. So it's really about what those investors bring to the table after after things are done. After years of lagging behind, Pakistan's tech ecosystem is coming to life with true gusto. In 2021, Pakistani startups are on track to raise more money than the previous five years combined at over $270 million and are increasingly gaining interest from name-brand international investors. For insiders, the rapid emergence of Pakistan's startup scene has been no exodus, with a growing young population and increasing digital literacy. But where are we really and is the business case robust enough? Welcome to the Billion Dollar Moves Breakdown, where we unpack some of the hottest trends of the moment in startup and venture land, busting some myths with the brains and analysts behind the deals so you can keep making billion dollar moves. Today in the hot seat, Mizvah Nakvi and Kalsum Lakani from I2I Ventures, an early-stage venture firm investing in the best founders, solving the toughest problems in Pakistan, with investments like Oran, Abi, and Taza. These two have been watching the Pakistani startup rise for the last decade. You don't want to miss it. Talk to us a little bit about, you know, what's happening in Pakistan. What is the business case? Uh, not that we need any more stats, but, you know, to really frame what's happened in the last 10 years. I, I mean, both of you have spoken about how this is a nascent ecosystem, but what's really moved the doll in really getting funding to where it is today? So yeah, so as you mentioned, Sarah, in your introduction, startups in Pakistan over the last, you know, since 2015 to present have raised close to $500 million in funding. But just this year alone, they've done about $240 million in funding. So basically half of that amount of, since 2015 to 21 has happened just in this year, and we're not even done with the year yet. So I think that to me is what's really um, fascinating and also really exciting because it speaks to just the general acceleration of what's been happening in the funding space. But I think if we were to zoom out about why Pakistan and why now, there's a few different factors that really play into it. So the very first thing that I would say is when we look at the macro indicators, right? And I think everyone loves to talk about the overall macro stats. So I don't want to you know, talk about it too much, but I think it is important to know for people that don't know the market that well, um, is that Pakistan is the fifth largest country in the world. Our addressable market is getting larger right now. Um, we have about, um, from a from an addressable market perspective, 100 million broadband subscribers. We have a very young population. Our median age is about 22 years old. Um, we're going to have the third largest middle class by 2025 after India and China. And so when we take all these stats together, it becomes actually quite an interesting, um, interesting market from that way. I think there was a lot of uh, barriers to digitization before and that started to shift with COVID in a lot of ways in terms of the pandemic, obviously being such a tragedy globally, as well as in Pakistan, also pushed a lot of people online as we've seen in other markets. Whereas, you know, there wasn't a lot of incentive for people to do that before. Now we're seeing people a lot more comfortable being digital, as well as the fact that in, you know, the regulatory environment in Pakistan really formed a very big ceiling in the space before in terms of creating a lot of barriers for not only entry, but also growth for a lot of companies. And a few things that changed in the last year alone has been game changers for the space. So as an example, um, both the State Bank of Pakistan and the Securities and Exchange Commission created a lot of changes. And one of them as an example is that startups 
founders in Foxon who are tax residents can now set up holding companies abroad, which makes it, you know, and be able to set up a holding company, which means that foreign capital doesn't have to go directly in the country. And I think a lot of things that Ms. Ben I get as, you know, questions from foreign investors is how do we get our money in and out of Foxon? Like, how do we deal with that potential risk? And there's just a, this huge potential perception of risk that exists with that. So the fact that they can put their money into a holding company in like Singapore or the UAE mm-hmm. or, or Delaware, um, in a lot of ways started to just ease things and make things a lot better. Um, from another perspective, the talent um, talent started to get better. I think we've seen founders just marginally get more sophisticated, um, just addressing, you know, as, as things are opening up, just starting to build companies that are addressing very large market opportunities. Um, we're seeing a lot of Pakistanis come back home um, from, right. you know, there was this whole thing about the green mafia that you've talked about before on your show. Um, so there's so much, you know, going on all at the same time that are all these different levers in place that really allowed for the market to start to shift. We used to see most of the deals that happen really happen only at pre-seed and seed stage. And now we're obviously seeing series A, series B deals. Um, we'll talk about the fact that, you know, there's, you know, the what, what happens in the near future, but we're starting to see that value chain start to take place um, similar to what happened, you know, in, in emerging markets like Indonesia, we're kind of in the early days of that right now. Yeah. And, and Misfa, you know, for you, what have you seen from a funding landscape. I mean, you know, in terms of uh, new names that are coming in, we're seeing a lot of uh, excitement, of course, with big, uh, big deals, right? From Airlift, uh, you know, ha- even having the, the leader of your country tweet about them. Uh, are, are we seeing more foreign players get more comfortable with uh, the thought of Pakistan? We definitely are, Sarah. I think what we've started to see is that, you know, people are waking up to the opportunity. I think there definitely have been a few big headline deals uh, that have happened in the last, uh, you know, this year alone uh, that have contributed to a lot of that uh, building of the brand Pakistan. Uh, But like Kulsum said, it's not just the deals alone. It's also the kind of positive work that the government has been doing. and, And it's also the kind of level of opportunity that we're seeing in terms of the founders and what they represent. But what the big headlines have helped do is make people feel that you know Pakistan is is really an opportunity to tap now so while it is well, we talked about it being relatively early in the ecosystem development it is still early it's still an undervalued market in terms of the opportunity that the market represents um, but we are seeing things move very quickly we're starting to see valuations go higher we're starting to see a lot of foreign funders looking at Pakistan and, and in some cases to be honest driving those valuations higher because you know they may be comparing them to other markets which are either more mature or where they're, you know, they've been used to uh, writing big checks in, for example, in Silicon Valley. So I think for us, it's really exciting to have like serious players start looking at Pakistan mm. as a really important opportunity. It validates what we already know on the ground that we've already been working at, which is that there is a development that's happening in the space. And there's like a, a sort of a sea change that's happened the last three years, I want to say, in terms of where the market is. Um, you know, and, and then going from there, interestingly, I think some of these things build in tandem, right? So if you look at the kinds of uh, spaces that are interesting right now, there's e-commerce, there's logistics, there's fintech, and these are a trio of things that often go together. And so the the development and growth of one is helping push uh, the other sectors forward as well. And we're starting to see more of that interest uh, being picked up by international investors as well. Yeah, absolutely. And and I wanted to get a sense as well. I mean, uh, we talked about this a little bit briefly, you know, with, with sort of the airlifts of the World Bazaar, you know, Series B, Series A, and we're seeing actually quite a lot 
um, of pre-seed pushing into seed. How does the funding landscape from a perspective of where are the companies, you know, do, do we know um, if the majority, are, are these sort of uh, outlier cases of the Series B, Series A, and mm. are they taking up a lot of the air in the room or are we actually <laughs> seeing the movement across the stages? I mean, if you're seeing, if we want to talk about both Airlift and Bazaar, right? Just those two deals alone were like 110 million, right? Because it was right. 85 by yeah. Airlift and mm-hmm. 30 million by Bazaar, right? So they did, to your point, they did take up quote unquote the air in the room in that way in terms of the total amount raised. But if we're seeing like quantum of deals, I actually think you're still seeing the most amount of deals happen at pre-seed and seed stage. We're seeing more and more happen at Series A. And I think what's interesting is that, you know, Bazaar and Airlift both represent e-commerce, right? One on the B2B side, one on the B2C side. So a lot of those deals have had time to mature. So beyond Bazaar, there's Thodger, which raised Kleiner Perkins, um, put money into their into their round, which was $17 million, right? Um, then we have Retailo that's raising right now. We have, you know, that's the gear. We have Jugnu. So there's a number of players that raised, you know, six or six to nine months ago, they all raised their seed rounds and all of them now are closing or have announced their series A round. So in the e-commerce space, what's really interesting is you're just seeing like a high quantum, uh, sorry, the higher amount in terms of the deals themselves, because that space mm-hmm. has had time to mature. But in the pre- the in fintech, as an example, that sector, especially because of regulatory changes that have happened in the last year, that space has just now taken off, right? And to Ms. Buzz's point, there's room for those fintech, uh, fintech plays right now because of what's been happening in e-commerce. So there's a lot of like really interesting push and pull that's going on. But most of those deals, if I was to compare... Um, the quantum of deals in e-commerce um, to fintech, there's actually probably more fintech deals. Not probably, there are more fintech deals happening than e-commerce deals. But the size of the e-commerce rounds are larger right now just because of where that sector sits in the value chain of funding, right? So we're getting more A and B rounds. And in fintech, we're just now getting into the A rounds on average right now, where most of them have still been pre-seed and seed. So I think those are obviously the two most active sectors. When we look at other emerging markets, those are the sectors that typically take off first as well. Um, And so that's the reason why I think you're seeing more happen in e-commerce and the most amount happening in that space. But then we're starting to see fintech really start to catch up with that too. Yeah, and, and I do want to sort of dive a little bit deeper before we go into the sectors. You know, you're, you're really setting us up for that, which is great. Um, but talk to us about, you know, from an investor standpoint, right? we, we have a lot of funders that are tuning in here. You know, they're excited to hear who are the latest unicorns, what are the latest markets. Are the valuations sort of justified? Are we seeing fundamentals from a business standpoint uh, comparing, I guess, you know, from landscape to landscape, Pakistan to... I don't know, Indonesia, even that's that's not really a, a great benchmark, but it's sort of following suit with the rise of MSMEs and things like that. Are you seeing uh, sort of the numbers make sense here? So I'm going to give a, a mixed answer to that, Sarah, because I think on one hand, what Kutsum already identified and uh, highlighted as a market opportunity, that's definitely a valid opportunity. There's there's this big market that's growing. There's a young population. There's access to technology. All of that is true and real and represents a real opportunity. I think the question is that I think a lot of times people from the outside looking in, um, you know, do look at this opportunity, but what they, what they also should be looking at, and some of them are, is how hard it is to build sometimes in some of these markets and how high friction they tend to be, frontier markets generally, and Pakistan is no exception there. So I think what we need is a little bit of nuance in there as well so that there's a little bit more due diligence that is being done on 
what the founders are claiming, what the market opportunity actually represents, how long will it take to get there? So I think it's this balancing act between, you know, being really positive and opportunistic about what deals are coming through and where this next unicorn potentially is going to come from in Pakistan and balancing that out by not necessarily buying into a hype and the valuation just for the sake of it. What we're starting to see now is that Valuations have taken a really big steep incline recently, uh, but I think a lot of that also to be to, is important to say is there are some safe uh, you know uh, future uh, there's some investments that have been raised on safe rounds, which means these are future valuations that we are talking about, and I think the potential for the market to get there is definitely there. So I also think that in terms of you know global trends pakistan is mimicking some of that the markets are frothy across the world there's a lot of money chasing few deals and that kind of drives up the price so there is a bit of that that's happening at the same time i think people are getting excited about the pakistan opportunity and i think the third point would be that sometimes foreign investors looking in are, are not necessarily keeping in mind how how long that path could be or how tough that could road could be. So that I think for us, that tempers the valuation a little bit when we look at what some of those numbers could potentially look like. But again, not yeah. to take away from the market opportunity at all. Kaz, do you want to add something there? Yeah, it, it's definitely, I totally agree. It's definitely a huge opportunity, but I think it's kind of, you know, every time I see foreign investors tweet about Pakistan, they always just talk <laughs> about fifth largest country in the world. I'm like, yeah, but underneath that, there there's so much more nuance that you have to pay attention right. to, right? Of like why, as an example, a certain, you know, cer- certain vertical in fintech may not be taking off as much as we think, right? And so I think that really uh, speaks to, I mean, a lot of these foreign investors outside of maybe a few are writing opportunistic checks about Pakistan, right? So for them, it's like mm. a small part of a very large fund that they're writing. So for them, the price doesn't really matter that much. For us as like local players, we're going to be there when the dust settles. So for us, it really does matter right. like what the price is. Does it make sense? And I also think, you know, to speak to, um, you know, what I think, what I hope will happen, but I think should be happening more is that I don't think, I think international funds need to have at least one local player in a deal because as Ms. mentioned, these are such high friction places similar to, you know, all the people that you interview, um, Sarah, for your mm-hmm. show existing in other markets, it is difficult to execute in Pakistan, right? And so you need a local player that actually understands the market, understands the barriers, has the networks and the relationships to help those things, you know, transpire and, and to and for these founders to execute. And so I think I think it's important the price is going up a lot and some of it is merited and some of it isn't. And so I think there is a lot of noise right now and a lot of, unfortunately, not the smartest money always on the table, right? So I think it's also up to the founders to make sure that they're choosing the right partners in their journey um, as they're raising. Yeah. And and that's a, a great point, you know, for founders that are tuning in. When you think about uh, smart money, especially in a market like Pakistan, uh, what does that look like? Yeah. It means what happens after the deal is done. Right. And so it's, you know, for, and different investors bring different things, obviously, but, you know, for some of these, for Pakistan, and we're going to talk about this more, you know, we haven't really, I mean, we've only just had a series B with airlift and then by Kia the year before by Kia series B was 13 million, right. Versus 85 million by airlift. Like we are now seeing the size of rounds increase in ways that we did not know were possible before. Um, but we need to see, you know, more investors that could potentially come in at B, C, D rounds, right? So we can we can start to see those unicorns happen and potential exits. And so having investors at this stage with you that have either deep 
pockets themselves or have the access to networks that exist that can help you with your future fundraising and is our good signaling for that, I think is super important. I think if you're speaking to some of these international investors, a lot of things that are happening right now, Sarah, in Pakistan is a mimicry, right? So we're seeing investors that may not know Pakistan, but they're investing in the Gojek of Pakistan, Baikia, um, or hopefully maybe at one day we'll say that Gojek was the Baikia of, of Indonesia <laughs> or whatever. But, you know, I think we're starting to see that take place where, you know, uh, Bazaar, uh, Retail, all of these guys are have a version of themselves in India with Iran, right? Or things that are happening elsewhere. And so it's important for them as they're doing that mimicry thing. It's also really important for the portfolio companies to know, you know, if you're getting received, if you're getting money from this investor, do I get access to founders that are similar and doing similar things? Does that investor mm-hmm. have the depth of knowledge to really help me execute because they've seen something similar in their market? Or what does that look like after the deal is done? And then for your local investors, I mean, we talk about this a lot at, at Idai Ventures. We do a lot of work with our, our companies. Companies. We're very hands-on with them. We help on hiring. We help with our research team helping them, um, our networks, things like that. So what is it that you're asking for, I think is really important. So that money is smart. Money is smart after the deal is done, right? So it's like, otherwise it's just a check that comes in the door. So it's really about what those investors bring to the table after, after things are done. Yeah, love that. It, it's it's very much like marriage, right? It's uh, you know, it's not just on the We're wedding getting in bed with someone. Yeah, exactly. It's it's you know the years and all that that you build beyond that. Love that. And, and now we've already set up for um, the next question, which is you know the the three sectors, the trio of uh, amazing industries that you're excited about. It sounds like B two B, you know, has has quite a lot of funding as a vertical e commerce fintech. It all sort of builds into that. But why why are these industries sort of uh, taking the lead here is there anything in particular so Kusum referred to this earlier in the talk uh, COVID has really changed things for a lot of people it's been really tough but it's also been oh, it's opened up opportunities for people to leverage technology I think where we've had like a slow uh, tech adoption. We've mm-hmm. seen things fa- get much faster in COVID uh, with something like maybe, for example, online groceries and people get be getting much more comfortable with ordering online and, and being able to sort of access uh, goods and services online. So I think uh, one of those factors has been COVID in terms of the tech prolif- proliferation um, and the pushing forward of something that was already happening as a natural progression in Pakistan, where pe- more people have access to broadband, the population is young and growing. And so people, younger people are much more tech savvy, much more comfortable living their life online. So I think that the tech aspect of it is definitely one, one thing. I think the other thing is some of these things are related, like we were talking about it earlier in terms of regulations around fintech. So while the e-commerce space is growing, that payments aspect of being able to complete the transaction online is now being facilitated and there are more players that are coming in with options that are being given not only to merchants but also to consumers to be able to do more um, you know efficiently and I always say this that I think from from a fintech perspective you need both push and pull I think in Pakistan what we've seen is the push aspect where the government has created a, a relatively enabling environment and allowed uh, more fintechs to come in but on the pull that's something we're starting to see now and as customers, get comfortable with online payments and start using uh, fintech services, I think there's going to be more of that pull where they will demand efficiency in what they do. They will demand convenience. So we're starting to see the beginning of that as well. 
And I think logistics and and transport and this opportunity to use technology in a creative way and disrupt markets that have been very traditional and have been fragmented up to now is again something that we're starting to see. Um, the other the other trend that uh, that is there is edtech. I think technology again, mm. uh, COVID, uh, you know, made it very clear how important technology is to be able to access something like education services. And you know, we're seeing a lot of edtech plays coming in. We ourselves have invested in Edcasa, which which is a company that's focused on exam prep specifically uh, for you know a certain ninth uh, to twelfth grade. And so I think some of those plays are starting to get a little bit more mainstream, and that's really a big opportunity going forward as well. Interesting. And are we seeing? I mean, to this point, we talk a lot about uh, mimicry, and and I think that that's you know mimicry is uh, the best form of flattery for Silicon Valley in many ways. And and what else we're seeing in the wall, you know, sort of emerging Asia and all that. Is that real innovation in Pakistan? The word innovation literally means to make new, right? And so if we were to actually say, you know, mimicry is is mimicry, but it's not a complete photocopy, you're still making it new for the environment that we are in, right? And so for me, I think that's really where the key is. Like if you were just to say, if you were to just drop the same model, like if you were saying, I'm launching Ruanguru from Indonesia in Pakistan, it wouldn't be the same because the way that consumers, you know, consume ed tech or, or learning is very different, right? And so, you know, I think we're, we are, there's like few and far between in terms of brand new things that we maybe have never seen anywhere else in the world in terms of inventions that are probably even happening at the university university level, to be honest, in Pakistan. Mm-hmm. So we can even speak to like the issue of technology transfers and how difficult it is to get, you know, brand new things out there. But for the most part, I think we're seeing, we are seeing versions of what we're seeing elsewhere, but I do think that they are innovative because they're making it new for the Pakistan market and, and are really adjusting. And that's, I mean, you've interviewed Manib from Bikea. Bikea is a great example of that, right? Of like how Manib actually localized um, a model that's worked in other markets, but really made it work for Pakistan and for the Pakistani consumer. And continuing to evolve, right? I think the best yeah. founders that we're seeing right now are the ones that take something that's worked somewhere else, apply to the Pakistan market with the context, but then continue to evolve. They don't get stuck in that little box of like what they had actually looked at and got inspiration from. Uh, they continue to evolve like Bikea is doing and sort of continue to build for the market. And I think that's what we're seeing in some of the most exciting founders is that they're not just copy-pasting. They're con- they're looking at something um, you know that may have happened with a startup in India, which is a little further ahead of us as a market. Uh, and they're taking lessons away from that. And they, they recognize that, you know, a, a, a particular startup in their in their space perhaps didn't monetize early enough, and now for them there's an opportunity to look at the market a little differently and monetize so that they don't make the same mistakes as somebody else did. So we are seeing some really smart applications in that way, and I agree with Kutsum. I think that's really where the innovation is coming in. Fantastic. Well, now to go into um, a little bit deeper into some of these nuances, uh, you know, this is really airtime for your portfolio companies or any uh, startups that you want to highlight. But for the analysts in the room, the experts in the room, what are your top three picks um, to look out for? Well, I think, Sarah, that's like Sophie's choice. Like we can't choose our favorite babies. So what we will say, what we will talk about are maybe the last three companies that we announced. Um, We're excited about all the companies in our portfolio, to be honest. Um, But the last three are ones that, you know, I think are are speaking to kind of also the current needs of what's happening. 
earliest one within the last three, as in not the latest one, was Credit Book, which we've just mentioned. Um, Credit Book is like Kata Book, um, like Bukukas and Bukurang in Indonesia, digitizing ledgers, which obviously, you know, as an entry point to other financial products is really exciting. But one thing that I'll say really quickly, if, if I was to zoom out in the three companies that I'm, we're just about to talk about, um, is that all three of those companies, the reason that got us excited as much as the opportunity is interesting and we've seen it work in other markets is because of the founders and their ability to execute. And I think with credit book, um, it's just, they're just incredible at like thinking through, like putting users really at the center of their design. Some of the findings that they've had, I mean, they've had, if we look at the numbers, it's great, right? 2 million downloads, they have 600,000 monthly active users. So really exciting growth, which I think is why players and funds like Better Tomorrow, Quiet all came into their, into their last round. Um, but also the fact that from an execution standpoint, they really have kept their users at the center of it and have really thought through, as Ms. Bo was mentioning as well, like not just waiting to think about monetization, but really thinking about it as like as as how to monetize, how to build better economics right now, how to build a good model. Um, so really having some exciting stuff on their horizon. So pay attention to them. Um, and I'll just talk about the second and I'll let Ms. Bo talk about the third. Um, most Second most recent deal that was announced was Iran. Um, and Sarah, you know, the founders behind them, Sir, um, Iran is a female founded, um, fintech, um, which is also uh, puts women at the center of design for their financial products. And in Pakistan, where 93% of women are financially excluded to me, that is such a huge opportunity for how do we actually include, um, more than half the population who are mostly excluded and building really strong financial products. And so Iran really started by digitizing Roskas, which are, you know, rotating savings and credits associations, like committees that they're called in Pakistan, mm -hmm. which was really focused on kind of like more middle-class professional women and, and really, and really learning from that. So again, very similar to the credit book founders, um, the Iran founders, Farwan and Halima were total rock stars really have the users at the center of their design. The way that they talk about them is so nuanced and so sophisticated. And really from there now launching other financial products, which makes them really excited about, you know, building like a, this finance platform that is not just for women, but is women first. And I think that to me is like really exciting and, and something that we, we we're really excited about in their most recent round. They just closed $3 million in a seed round. Um, yeah, and I'll and, let you talk about our third one. Yeah. Go and ahead. Plus, before, before we jump to uh, Ms. Bell's choice there, um, on Oran, I mean, we talked about this. There were investors who just didn't understand the concept, right? This formula of banking, I, I just don't get it. What, what do you say to that? And how would you explain this nuance of um, truly, I think this is really what's different in Pakistan. Yeah. So, I mean, I think what's interesting is that when we look at digitizing Raskas in other markets, because Raskas as a concept has been around for centuries, right? I think it actually originated in Japan. Um, and so when we look at people that have tried to digitize Raskas in other markets, I think a lot of times these guys face a little bit of an uphill battle because people haven't seen it work elsewhere. And that's because a lot of times people were focusing on uh, women in rural areas that were more, you know, more lower class, which is still a very important segment, but a very difficult segment to build for, right? And so because they're obviously not as like digitally or financially literate. And I think why Iran, what was really interesting about what they were building is that they were really focused on kind of like a middle class. Oh, and the other thing that Roska is the difficult thing was that a lot of those saving circles were very social in nature, right? And so when you make it digital, it strips the social part away from it. And one thing, two mm -hmm. things that I thought was really interesting with Iran is number one, they're focused on um 
you know, a segment that has deeper pockets that are more educated, more literate anyway. So already you're kind of starting with a segment that's a little bit different. And then also one thing that Iran discovered was that those, a lot of the women that were opting into these, you know, these committees, these digital committees didn't care about the social aspect of it, right? Because for them, it was more important about the end of what they were trying to achieve. And so what was really interesting is that a lot of these women don't have formal bank accounts, but are, are have Iran accounts, right? And that data mm-hmm. becomes really important for other financial products. And then also what was interesting is that on average, uh, an Iran customer or an Iran user um, was doing about three and a half committees at the same time, right? Because they're obviously in different positions in that circle. And so just really interesting in terms of what they were able to achieve and just like, tens of thousands of women that are in and men um, who are part of it, but also what they learned as a result of that. All right. Well, Mispa, on to you. What is your top pick? Yeah, so I'm I'm gonna go on with the theme that Kulsum started, which is like you know going in order of like companies we've recently invested in and announced. And so I'm gonna talk a little bit about Taza, which means fresh in Urdu. Uh, and Taza is a B2B agri marketplace play um, uh, set up by again really strong founders Abrar and Mosin, who've come from startups in the past. They've worked with Swivel, they've worked with Kareem, but they also have corporate experience with with Nestle and Telenor. And so, what they bring to the table is this really interesting perspective of looking to support, solve the supply chain problem. Uh, the fresh produce and agri market in Pakistan is a 60 to 70 billion dollar industry, and it's quite archaic in the way the market works right now. So, what we love about Taza and how Abrar and Mosin are addressing the problem is that they're approaching it from a problem solving around the supply chain perspective. How do they build processes around uh, bringing produce from the farmer to the small retailers in a way that provides best access to quality, best pricing, um, and as well as the efficiencies that are, that are they building to the system. So, uh, you know, again, while this is a tech play, what we love is that they're not going tech first. They're really understanding what the problems are in the market and how those can be uh, addressed. And then they're starting to build te- the tech layer on top of that to then solve for them. Everything from like freshness and product sorting to speed to market, time to market, uh, you know, figuring out uh, seasonality, for example, because in fresh uh, fruits and vegetables, that's very important. Um, all of those are things that they're building in. Uh, what we love is that they've, you know, hit the ground running uh, in just a few months. They're, they're at, you know, close to $200,000, you know, AR. Are they're uh, they're really getting uh, getting into it, and they're starting to hire a really strong team in terms of the background of people that have this mix of tech and agri and product uh, and operations. So I think for us, this is the kind of company. These are the kind of founders that are tackling big problems. And I think going back to the two examples Kulsum shared as well, and I think this is a theme that goes runs across our portfolio. All of the founders that we've invested in and the companies we're working with are solving big problems in Pakistan. Yeah, and I absolutely love that, you know, that point on really playing a big role, right? Because uh, unfortunately, in saturated markets or developed markets, we see a lot of incrementalism, right? Where it's another app for something which doesn't really, you know, change many lives. You know, it might make a lot of money, but in emerging markets, what, what I'm excited about is just the opportunity of really uh, leapfrogging on, on one hand and also really making 
uh, true change, especially with this wave of digitization. Now, we've talked a lot about good things. Uh, and of course, I think as venture capitalists, you all, as investors, you all have to be optimists. We have to be optimists in, in this day and age uh, to continue to do the work that we do. But what are some of the challenges in the road ahead? Uh, one of the things that is part of a very fast-growing market, Sarah, is, is access to talent and good people. I think we're starting to see that challenge coming up. I think it's really important for us to focus. And that's why at our end, we really focus on helping our founders with hiring because as this market grows, as the competition increases for good talent uh, and the pipeline is not keeping up with it. So I think that's a challenge where we really need to come together as an ecosystem and really foster good talent development so that a few years down the line, we're not really seeing this bottleneck uh, put a stop to the kind of progress that we're, you know, uh, hoping for and expecting to grow into uh, at this point. Um, so I think that's really that's really one. Another one is is I think a factor which is a, to a certain extent beyond our control, which is macroeconomics and the geopolitical situation. I mean, I think it would be it would be uh, an ostrich approach if we were to not address that. That is, we are Pakistan is a market that is very high potential, but is also in a in its geopolitical situation um, and in a macroeconomic situation where you know there are things that may be unforeseen that come down the road. And I think the third one is, is potentially not having enough exits on the table right now, which which is a question we get asked a lot. And I don't know, Kaz, I'm setting you up for this, but I don't know if you want to maybe talk to it a little bit and then carry on with your points from there. I mean, it's, it's interesting because the market obviously has shifted so much just in the last nine months. So I think at the speed that we're going, I think we're going to see companies that at least are valued at like maybe potentially a unicorn status in the next year, right? I think in 2022, we'll definitely see that. I think what's really interesting in Pakistan is that we're, we're all of us are who are in the market and have been in the market, we're all building the road in front of us, right? So we're not going to go away if the geopolitical situation changes. Like we're in it for the marathon, not the sprint right now, right? So for those of us, and that's why I think it's really important, every ecosystem, and you know, East West is like this in Indonesia, you need to have strong local Local VC funds that can be there sustainably throughout, you know, the ups and downs that happen in any market, but especially in a market like Boxon that has, you know, the potential for that friction. Um, and I think when it comes to exits, you know, I think we're seeing things start to open up, right? So a couple things that are really interesting. I think we're going to start to see, obviously, you know, ideally CDE rounds happen. And I think from that um, standpoint, I think we'll potentially start to see potential for regional acquisitions, regional consolidation. Um, I think as players look outside into Pakistan, it'll become much more of a stronger story or a stronger um, justification to acquire a local player rather than try to enter the market on their own. Um, and I think that's what we'll start to see as, you know, as, as these local players start to gain a lot more traction in the businesses that they're building. I think we're starting to see a lot of entrance um, into certain segments. So in the B2B e-commerce, a lot of plays in the, in the trucking space as an example. So I think we'll start to see consolidation happen there, which I think is also really strong, um, really strong signaling for that. But I think at the end of the day, because we are kind of building the road in front of us, you know, when it comes to even exits on, you know, in terms of IPOs and things like that, we're starting to see, you know, the box on stock exchange as an example, start to build out like a, a board, a gem board specifically for SMEs. We're still ways out from really figuring out what that looks like in practice. But I think those are really strong indicators of how we start to prepare the market, um, not only for growth stage levels of investment, but also potential for actual exits. Like where do people, where do these companies go at, at a certain point? Where does, where are those liquidation events? And what a great way um, to sort of end on a high note as well and in sort of being uh, grounded in reality. But um, final last words for those who are tuning in, you know, 
they could be founders or funders that are deep in the rough uh, thinking about uh, their work, uh, what would you say to them? Maybe start with Misba and then to Kalsum. Sure. Yeah, I think for founders, I would say just look around you. Pakistan represents so many opportunities to really build something that has impact in a way that's long term, but also is allowing you to become a billion dollar company. Uh, and there's a lot of opportunity here, which is why we're really bullish about it. I think I would just say persevere um, and just stick with it. And and there's this 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 sea change that's happening around us. And hopefully that, you know, like we say, rising tide lifts all boats, that this is the really the right time to get in and, and build something. Thank you. And Kalsum? Yeah, I'll just give, speak to the potential founders as well. So I think it is really exciting right now. It can also feel a little discouraging. So I think that it can feel really intimidating how much people are raising and feeling like, could you ever get that, right? And I think what's really important for founders to keep in mind is that raise when you need to and don't raise a huge amount just because you feel like that's what people are are adding, are putting success, like labeling as a success, raise smart and raise from investors that really understand your journey. Um, the other thing is like really focus on that execution, right? I think a lot of times, like with everything, all the noise that's happening around us, the PR stuff, the awards, all of that, like for us as investors, uh, we really love founders that are just going to roll up their sleeves and execute. And so really focus on that. And that's really what matters at the end of the day, when all the dust is going to settle, the companies that are going to really survive and do well and thrive are the companies that really worked on like what their models were and really focus on the execution and really thought were very thoughtful about their journey. Great. Well, ladies, thank you so much for your time. I think we've covered good ground here and I'm really excited for what you are all building. I've seen the hard work that you both put into, right? Really rolling up your sleeves. Talk about investors that really roll up their sleeves uh, for founders. I think, you know, both of you have really set the tone here on, on what leadership looks like and we are so grateful to have you in the ecosystem and uh, grateful for the work that you're doing. Thank you, Sarah. We're so grateful for you too and so grateful for the community that you've built. So we're we're just really proud to be part of that as well. This was Billion Dollar Breakdown Pakistan with Ms. Ba and Kalsum from I2I. Thank you everyone for tuning in. Be sure to share, like, and subscribe for more good stuff like this.